Welcome to the Nonprofit Voice Tech Series, a special edition of the Nonprofit Voice Podcast, hosted by Mark Becker, founding partner of Cathexis Partners and editorial advisory board member of Nonprofit Pro. In each episode of this monthly installment, Mark will have conversations with prominent nonprofit organizations and industry thought leaders to learn more about different technology offerings in the marketplace. Join us and together we will learn more about these innovative digital tools and how to navigate the rapidly evolving technology landscape. All right, welcome back. Uh, Mark Becker here, the founding partner of Cathexis Partner. Today, I have someone I've known, God, Abby, when did we first meet? Probably around at least 10 years ago, maybe, or, or so. It's been a while. It's been almost nine years, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, Abby's with QGive. Um, Abby, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and a little bit about your background and your current role? Yeah, um, I'm Abby Jarvis. I'm the, my official title is the Nonprofit Education Manager at QGive. So on the short version of what I do is I do a lot of research to understand how donors want to interact with nonprofits and what they're looking for out of the relationships they form with nonprofits, and then try to condense all of that down into kind of practical strategies that nonprofits can use to, to build those relationships with their donors. It's um, something I've become increasingly passionate about in the last nine years that I've been in the industry. And I really loved kind of digging into understanding why people behave the way they do when they're supporting the nonprofits they love. So especially kind of this year, I've, I've learned a lot about peer-to-peer fundraising and specifically what people are looking for out of those relationships. Um, well, but today we're going to talk about retaining peer-to-peer donors uh, and participants. So not just you know the participants and communicating with them, but also the donors. But let's start out by saying you know, it's important to retain your, your participants, right? And why is that? Well, I mean, there are a few reasons, but um, really, if I'm looking to be kind of cold and practical, a lot of the reason you want to retain those participants is because uh, acquiring those participants takes a great deal of work. And in a lot of cases, it takes up a great deal of money and other resources. So if you are spending... I don't know, $75 to acquire a participant for your peer-to-peer fundraiser, you can make that $75 stretch a little more if you have some strategies for bringing them back the next time you run the same event, or even if you're a nonprofit that's running multiple peer-to-peer events, encouraging them to participate in other, other events. Um, but then if you're looking more at the less analytical perspective, I guess, uh, there are some, there's definitely some advantages. Um, returning peer-to-peer participants are generally more familiar with fundraising. So the first time someone raises money for your organization, they there's a little bit of a learning curve. They have to learn the software that they're using. They're learning how to put together good appeals. And then if they come back the next year, that learning curve isn't as steep. So they're able to get up and running more quickly. Um, they can start raising money more efficiently. And then if you do a, a good job kind of with building the relationships with those participants, they may actually be a really valuable resource for new participants that you have coming in. So if you're putting together a peer-to-peer fundraiser and you've got to worry about all of the onboarding and making sure everyone knows how to raise money and knows kind of the event layout and how to reach out to their friends and family, it's a great deal of work. But if you have 
a solid base of returning participants who have done this maybe a couple of years in a row, they can be resources and kind of mentors to the new participants. So the time and resources that the nonprofit staff have to put into onboarding people and getting them started fundraising can be lessened if they've got some, some experienced fundraisers in there. Let's kind of dig in a bit more. So yeah, starting with just the model of you know, like any general marketing, right? It's, it's X times more expensive to get a new customer than retain one, right? So same thing applies in the nonprofit space for donors and participants. And then, it, yeah, I love what you said about, you know, they're already then familiar with the fact that it's a fundraising campaign, right? So maybe year one, they were um, just a 5K runner or just a walker and just really there for the social or for PR, if they're, if they're, you know, if it's a timed event, that type of thing, but they, they saw the messaging along the way, right? And they started to get the, the light started to come on for them, or maybe they were a huge fundraiser the first year, or even more reason to retain them, right? But then they've learned the system. Um, they've learned, you know, kind of, uh, they've seen what to do. And I also like the fact that you talked about, you know, the content and what they've generated and how you can lean on them. So just like you used the previous year's, you know, uh, images, uh, photos, right? If you have a physical event to create next year's hero images, the banners and all that, um, use those stories from past participants uh, same way, right? And that's all invaluable. And people love sharing their information and sharing their stories and their successes, right? Yeah, totally. And um, I think the big thing there is if you can kind of, if you can crowdsource that that content and those stories and um, create kind of this community almost with your with your peer to peer participants. Uh, I mean, you're going to probably raise more money, but you'll probably also have a little more fun doing it. For sure. All right. So let's get into it. How do, how do we how do organizations retain their their uh, participants? I think the number one thing nonprofits can do to improve the odds that participants will return for future events is to give them a really wonderful experience um, before and during the event, of course, but also after the, the fundraising participate or the fundraising period is over. Um, if you want your fundraisers to continue to come back and participate with you and support you year after year, you have to make sure they're having fun and you have to make them successful. Uh, it is a huge bummer to kind of, I don't wanna say fail because that is so negative sounding, but uh, if, you, if you're raising money for a nonprofit and you don't feel supported and you aren't really having fun and your appeals don't really go anywhere and no one really donates to you, uh, you're, not, you're gonna be less likely to participate again in the future than you would if you at a ball and you met your fundraising goal and it, you've got all of the fun badges for meeting different fundraising milestones. So I think when it comes to participant retention, oh, there's a lot of emphasis on what happens after the fundraising event is over. So this event has concluded, we need to engage this group of people to get them to come back to the next event. But really the retention process, at least for participants starts when your participant is learning about your event and signing up. So kind of all of the different strategies that you can use to bring participants back in the future hinge upon them being successful and having fun and feeling supported during the event itself. So there are a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, 
I think something as simple as really celebrating someone signing up to participate in your event is a big deal. Um, the impression on your participants, if they get a receipt that just says, you know, thank you for registering for our upcoming 5K, here are your transaction details for your records. Um, that experience is going to be much less exciting and will set a very different tone than if someone got a confirmation email and says, oh my gosh, thank you so much uh, for participating. This is going to be a fun couple of months. We can't wait to meet you. Here's how to get started. If you want any help or have questions, call us here. I think that just sets a totally different vibe to use the, what the kids are saying these days. Um, different feeling, different vibe, and people will be more excited about continuing to engage with that nonprofit. Right, right. And um, also, you know, reminding them, you know, how they're helping the cause, right, um, is a big key factor in all of that. Absolutely. This is one thing that I want to encourage nonprofits to, to think about. Um, I think fundraising participants should be valued as donors. They're donating their time and their effort and access to their social network. So these people are donating all of this to you. And just as regular, with the heavy emphasis on the air quotes, regular donors are very much influenced and inspired by understanding what their impact is. So to do fundraising participants want to understand what their impact is. Um, I think this is exceptionally important because of the types of people who choose to participate in these peer-to-peer -peer fundraisers. When we did our generational giving study, the I really anticipated peer-to-peer -peer fundraising appealing most to young donors. So like in their 20s, and that actually was not the case. The generation that was most likely to engage in a peer-to-peer -peer fundraiser were Generation X, who I think at this point are in their 40s, most of them. And then, of course, Millennials and, and Generation Z are also willing to engage that way. But the people who are looking to support a peer-to-peer -peer fundraiser are, despite any generational differences, very, very, very driven by understanding their impact and understanding the people that their, their work is going to support. So especially for those Generation X, the fundraisers, showing them what they're going to accomplish and then celebrating them when they accomplish that is a very important piece of that retention equation. Right. So from the moment that they first interact and they get that first autoresponder, make sure it doesn't sound like an autoresponder, right? <laughs> Make sure it doesn't yes, sound please. robotic. Um, update that, you know, while it's there by default in most systems, um, don't leave it as that canned language, right? Make, you know, turn it back, thank them, um, appreciate them, show appreciation and um, show them how it's all gonna, gonna help out the cause, right? And then, you know, so you got that first step down. What about, you know, between from when they register until assuming it's a physical event or maybe it's a virtual campaign that's just evergreen or always going on. Um, but, you know, let's say there is a certain time frame or during the time frame, even if it is a virtual campaign that the participant is active, you know, any suggestions in there? Totally. Um, so the biggest thing that I think is important for peer-to-peer -peer participants in particular is feeling supported and celebrated as they are working. And I know that it's hard to remember sometimes because when you're a fundraiser, you eat, sleep, and breathe your mission. But for your participants, your participants are very busy. They may be balancing your event with 
jobs and families and their social lives and all of this other stuff that's going on. So anything you can do to make them feel appreciated and supported is gonna be beneficial, mostly because it keeps you top of mind. Uh, full disclosure, I did this. Um, I participated in an event a few years ago. I have a full-time job. I've got a husband and a bunch of stuff going on. And I genuinely just forgot about fundraising a lot. So what you can do, and I would encourage nonprofits to try this, is set up some different kind of automated emails that you can send out to different fundraisers at different points in their fundraising journey. So if you're a fundraiser and you've got 200 folks signed up to raise money for your 5K, making each of them individually feel supported and seen and appreciated is a, a big ask. You don't have a lot of time to do that. So what you can do is create some emails that you send out either manually or if you have the software to do so to schedule them out and just set up a few basic emails. So if you've got a group of people that are $0 fundraisers, it's a huge thing. It happens to everyone. Everyone has $0 fundraisers. What you can do, say they haven't, they haven't signed in in the last few days, you can set up a rule that sends out an email to anyone that hasn't logged in the last three, seven, 10 days and just say, hey, we miss you. This is what's going on with our event these days. If you would like to support us, log in and try sending out uh, an email. Or, hey, we noticed you haven't logged in lately. If you're stuck, here are some fundraising ideas for you. That little nudge can be helpful. One, if they've, if it's kind of fallen to the end of their to-do list to actually get online and raise money for you, that can help. But it can also encourage people who are intimidated we're not really sure about how to start fundraising. Um, so that's helpful. You can do something similar uh, to make people feel appreciated and supported. So you can um, set up emails to go out if someone reaches a particular fundraising milestone. So maybe you put together an email template that says, you know, congratulations, you've met half of your fundraising goal. We're so proud of you. I don't know. Here's a fun raffle ticket or something like that. Um, those little incentives are really helpful. So you can use those automated emails either if you've, if you've got the software to accommodate it, you can set up emails to go out automatically based on triggers. So send out this email to anyone that's met 25% of their fundraising goal. Or if you don't have that capability, you can run a report of your participants and see who's been most active, who maybe needs a little boost. And then you can kind of manually send those emails out to them that way. So I think that's a really valuable way to make people feel important and appreciated. Yeah, totally agree. And if you don't have the software that allows that to happen, you should be looking at it or at least knowing it exists um, because it can make your, your life or your team's life a lot easier. Um, and you know, it makes it seem to the recipient like you're paying that much closer attention to them and you're speaking to them, not just to everybody. Because if you send out an email that says, hey, start fundraising and someone's already raised $10,000, they're not going to be very happy, right? But if if it only goes to those $0 fundraisers, which, you know, if you're doing a, a run or a walk might be 40 or 60 or even higher percent of your, you know, participants, um, you know, you want to make sure that they are $0 fundraisers um, and, you know, make it automated so it automatically goes out by automatically recreating a query every day or whatever it might be. The system hopefully will do that for you. So you, it shouldn't be intimidating, right? 
Yeah. And there are some, there's some really cool tools that are out there. Um, another thing that I think is really fun, especially if you have younger donors, especially or participants in the, like maybe the generation Z and millennials, I mean, Gen Z may be into it too. The idea of making fundraising a game is very compelling. Um, especially if you are working with a group of people who are busy and distracted, um, making it really fun to raise money is important. So that sounds great in theory, but in practice, what it looks like um, can take a few different forms. So uh, one that I encourage a lot of fundraisers to look at is setting multiple incremental goals instead of one big fundraising goal. Mm -hmm. So just from my experience, when I signed up to raise money for this event a couple years ago, I was asked to raise, I think five or $6,000. I mean, I talk about fundraising for a living and that was intimidating. Sure. Uh, but what they did to make it feel much more manageable was they set these different incremental milestones that were much easier to achieve. So raising $6,000 was intimidating, but getting to my first 200 was a lot less so. And then when I got to that first $200, I got kind of a little, a little like achievement badge and then an email saying, good job. Thank you for doing that. Keep it up. Um, getting to 200, getting to, getting to $500 from $200 is easier. Getting to a thousand from 500 is easier. So kind of stepping people up um, and making them feel supported through the fundraising process makes them a lot more likely to stay engaged with you. Um, if you ask a first time fundraiser to raise $5,000, they may be very intimidated and might not even start but they can raise $50. And then once they get there, they're a little more confident and they can kind of move up from there. So I would inc really encourage nonprofits to, to try setting those incremental goals. And then if you're feeling really ambitious, it can be really compelling to a lot of people to add incentives to those milestones. I've seen people do wild stuff for a free t-shirt. If you can say, hey, if you raise $300, you get an event t-shirt, people will do wacky stuff to get to that $300 mark. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, you know, a mug or, um, you know, swag all the time, right? Or maybe it's even low-cost swag, like different colored beads based on how much they've fundraised. I know it's a couple of organizations that do those type of things or different badges so that they can wear them with pride, you know, on the on the event um, and really you know, help them stand out or, or you know, show off their accomplishment. Um, or yeah. if it's you know, big fundraising teams, um, you know, maybe it's a, a private VIP uh, porta john or something like that, right? <laughs> that they have to have, totally. you have to have a certain number of them anyway. So you know, let's give a shout out to the people that have worked really hard. Definitely, there's an organization um, that we work with that has a special like VIP tent at their actual event. And they've got, I mean, a lot of the same amenities that are available to everyone else, but I mean, it's, it's the special VIP tent and you can only access that tent if you're in the top 50 fundraisers and people go nuts trying to break that top 50 because they want to be in the special tent. So it doesn't have to be anything elaborate or, or over the top. It's people want to win. So if you give them a win or a prize that they can win, they'll they'll work to get it good stuff all right so let's talk about after the event right they've done all this fundraising or not you know um but they've been involved right um well, you know let's talk about you know how to keep them engaged after the event so when you when you wrap up a big event emotions are high those warm fuzzy feelings are there people are really proud of themselves 
Uh, and what the best thing you can really do is to keep those warm fuzzies going as long as possible. So there are a few different ways you can do that. Um, I think a valuable way to do that is to reiterate a participant's tangible impact. So uh, one thing that was very compelling to me as a fundraiser, the organization I was raising money for said, you know, you helped raise $200,000. Here's how many people that's going to help. Here's a story about someone who will get medical care because of the fundraising that you did. And that's huge. And then there are some other uh, steps that you could take. I think a very underutilized resource for a lot of fundraisers is the post-event survey. Um, I think if you send out a survey to your participants, you achieve a few things. Asking them about their experience, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they'd like about um, in a future kind of fundraising experience with you. You make them feel heard and appreciated. You give them a voice. You give them a way to um, feel like they are engaging with you on a meaningful level. So there's that. But then you also have a really great opportunity to identify areas that you can improve on in the future. So if you, especially if you've been running this event for a while, you may get feedback that surprises you. A, a fundraiser may say, I really enjoyed this aspect of fundraising with you and I wasn't so wild about this area. Um, so you're giving them a voice, you're building a relationship with them, but you're also identifying areas that you may be able to make your event even more effective. And then it's probably not for everyone, but one really compelling strategy I've seen used is um, putting together a special group for participants who raised money for you. You don't need to name it necessarily. You can if you want to, but um, giving people this feeling of <clears throat> inclusivity and maybe exclusivity by being a part of this group of people who have raised money for you can be really cool. Um, a nonprofit in my hometown has a, a group called the Swan Society. Anyone that participated in their past fundraisers can be a part of this group. Um, there is a giving commitment involved in being in that group, but being in that Swan Society, you get more information about future events. You get you know, special access to donor appreciation events. Um, that may be a little bit of a lift for some nonprofits, especially if you have a very large kind of participant base but it's something to, to explore. And then one thing I would really encourage nonprofits to do, and this sets the stage for the retention aspect of it. So after the event, you've communicated this fundraiser's impact. You've maybe invited them to get involved in other ways, whether that is to be a regular fundraiser or a regular donor, or asking them to be in this named group for past participants. So you've, you've kind of drawn out those positive feelings and now the move once your next event is coming up is to remind them how much fun they had and how special they felt and how much of an impact they made and then invite them to do it again. Um, so you can kind of just leave it at that or if you're really focusing on retention if you really want to bring these participants back you may want to do something like offer them um, a discount code uh, for registration or early access to registration or something special to kind of give them that boost to sign up again. Um, people love feeling like they're getting a deal. If you've reminded them how much fun they had, showed them what the impact was that they made when they participated for you, 
invited them to get involved again. And they're like, oh, by the way, if you sign up now, you get $5 off. Uh, that's very compelling to people. Yeah, I love that and totally agree. And, you know, we've worked with organizations before and there's been talks about, you know, when you're in the weeds of it thinking, you know, okay, well, how do we make sure if we give that discount code to, you know, past participant that they don't share it out? I'm like, you know, your registration fee is not, unless it's like the third rail and really, you know, important and, you know, the board has, it can't be changed. It can't be discounted, you know, that's the thing I would normally say is, is kind of the first thing that you discount the heck out of and get people to register early, you know, early bird discounts, you know, retain, or retained um, participant discount, that type of thing. If they happen to share with their friend, I mean, first of all, you know, they're, 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 they're going to have some bad karma, you know, yeah. <laughs> as an individual, and they probably won't do it anyways, but if they do, it's not the end of the world, right? It's the, you're, you have another participant. So get out there, use those things. Um, and yeah, people do love freebies, right? So, you know, totally get, just be happy that you got them back. And then, you know, you got them to do the big part, get them to do the big part, which is fundraising again, right? Yeah. If you're intentional, this is something that can be done in a very short period of time. Um, I don't, I mean, depending on the software you're using, spinning up a promo code can take 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Uh, you just create the promo code, set how much of a discount it is, and then um, pull a list of your participants from the previous year, put together an email saying, you know, we appreciate you. We want to invite you to do it again. Here's $5 off. Um, so it's, it's something that's very effective that doesn't take a lot of time. And five dollars off if you use it by such and such date to get them back, but also get them back early so you can have more time to start the whole cycle over again, right? Absolutely, yeah. I love it. All right, so that's a lot about, and we could, like you said, carry on forever about participants. But let's move over to the donors, right? These are normally not necessarily um, contacts of the organization. They they very well could be, but. You know, there's also a very good chance they're just um, uh, aware of you and involved in donating because of the family member or friend that is the participant, right? So they're, they're you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon from you as far as, um, you know, ha having an affiliation with you. So how do you retain donors? People stress about donor retention for peer-to-peer -peer donors. So just to make people feel better, it's okay if your retention rate is a little lower for peer-to-peer -peer participants. Um, that's okay, that's normal. The upside of having low donor retention for peer-to-peer -peer donors is that there's a lot of opportunity to improve very quickly. So even though these are peer-to-peer -peer donors, they still have the same basic motivations that standard donors do. They may just need a little extra onboarding because they may not be very familiar with your nonprofit. So when I'm raising money for someone and my mother-in-law donates to me, she doesn't know who that organization is. She lives in Delaware. She doesn't live in Florida. She's never interacted with this nonprofit before. She's donating entirely because her daughter-in-law is raising money for them. So for, for Linda, um, the the donor retention journey needs to be a little longer than the standard donor retention journey. Um, when you are looking at your normal year-round donor, they're already basically familiar with your mission. They understand what you do. Uh, they probably have an inkling of the impact that they're going to make because you've done a great job marketing to her. Um, 
if Linda comes in as a peer-to-peer -peer donor, she may not know what you do. She may not understand what your mission is. She may not know what her impact is going to be. Um, so the, the donor retention journey for, for Linda needs to start there. So what you can do to do that, um, update your autoresponder email immediately. <laughs> uh, it shouldn't just include your transaction details, although that's important. Um, try including some language in there about who you are and what you're doing and what the impact is going to be. So something as simple as changing your, your automated receipts to something saying, you know, thank you so much. If you're not familiar with us, here's what, who we are. Here's what we do. Um, we're thrilled to have met you. Here's what your money is going to accomplish. Um, and then this is important. Give them another way to interact with you. Don't ask them for more money. Just give them another way to interact with you. Ask them to follow you on Facebook. Ask them to watch a video that you put up on YouTube. Give them an opportunity to learn more about you and what you do, because even though they may have come into your donor database being unaware of your mission uh, and mostly motivated by supporting their daughter-in-law or whoever, um, you're giving them an opportunity to learn about you. And then from there, I mean, retaining them is honestly very similar to, to your, your average, I say that with air quotes too, uh, with your, your normal donors. Uh, they still want to know that their money is going to be used wisely. They still want to know what their impact is going to be. They still want to feel valued. And once you've kind of let them know about the nonprofit they've chosen to support here, you have more opportunities to engage them there. I like it. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's, I totally agree with everything you're saying. It's, it's all the same messaging or all the same talking points um, and high levels of, of the participant, but then you have to upscale it all, all because you assume that they don't know anything about you and you, you want them to, you're introducing yourself to a stranger, right? Totally. And if you're looking for practical tips on how to do this, um, I would encourage nonprofits to try this. So when you are running your, your CRM sync or downloading your database of donors and adding them to your, um, your whole database, don't put those peer-to-peer -peer donors immediately into your general mailing lists. Um, if you have a peer-to-peer -peer donor that is entirely unfamiliar with your nonprofit, and they just start getting your newsletters, they're probably gonna unsubscribe. They don't have a relationship with you. They're not committed enough to that relationship to stay there. So pull out that, that section of donors, make them their own little list, um, and then send them a handful of introductory emails first, assuming they don't know anything about your nonprofit. And then once those people have started engaging with you and have learned more about your organization, then move them into your, your general mailing lists, then start sending them newsletters, and then maybe you can start sending them appeals soon. But I would start there. Make them their own list for a little while and then move them in. To your I, general. I love that point. Yeah, that make that a no-go zone for, for a, a while, a period of time when you're, when you're thinking about it. Make sure that they don't all of a sudden get dumped into your um, overall welcome series, right? Because they've already come in through the side door now you don't just show them, you know, the front door and, and, and do the walk. You, you got to treat them differently. So um, depending on how, you know, advanced your, your, your system is and, and what you have going on, if you have a welcome series, 
um, you probably want to create a separate one um, for those those donors um, or um, just exclude them from the general welcome series altogether. Yeah, definitely. And this is a funny psychological hack that I talk about all the time that I really feel like nonprofits should use, especially when it comes to these, these peer-to-peer donors. So there is this thing called the Benjamin Franklin effect. Are you familiar with it? I'm not. Okay, so the Benjamin Franklin effect is this weird psychological thing that happens where if you ask someone to do a favor for you and they do you that favor, they perceive you more positively than they did before they did you a favor. So if I had never met you before and you said, hey, Abby, we're at a conference. Uh, I need to borrow a phone charger. Will you do me a favor and, and let me use your phone charger? And I say, yes, I will think that you are, I will think better of you after that exchange than I did before. You can use this with your donors. If you have a brand new donor who doesn't know anything about you and you, you know, you send them the thank you, do all the things, but then a couple of days later you say, hey, donor, uh, we are so appreciative of your support. Will you do us a favor? and let us know a little bit about yourself or do us a favor and watch this YouTube video. And they do that thing for you. They, the relationship that they have in their mind with you is much stronger already. Um, they think, and this is why the Ben Franklin effect works. They think, oh, wow, I would not have done a favor for this organization if I didn't value what they do. Um, so a really powerful donor retention method is asking someone to do a small non-financial, that's important, a small non-financial favor for you. They'll be more likely to engage with you in the future. They will think more positively of your organization and they will be more likely to become a, a donor with you. So try that. It's like it. spooky, but it that's works. A, that's a fun little tip. I like that one. All right. Yeah, um, use that all the time. So not even for donors, <laughs> random people. Yeah, that's a good one. Use that in general life. Abby, thank you very much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank, thank you me. so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Nonprofit Voice. You can listen to more episodes of The Nonprofit Voice at nonprofitpro.com slash podcast slash the hyphen nonprofit hyphen voice. And remember, for your convenience, you can stream any and all episodes of The Nonprofit Voice on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify.